Exes for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out Cage Club at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey everybody, welcome back to another all-new Exes for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the many adventures of Marvel's Merry Mutants week after week through their many vaunted titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Today we have an awesome doubleheader for you featuring X-Force and Strange Academy. X-Force has been really interesting because one of the things about this title is that it's probably closer to the more recent iterations led by Wolverine than it is to the iterations led by Cable. Cable's had such an interesting journey as well, having been in the cancelled Fallen Angels and the now recently announced to be ended Cable solo series, so I wonder if he might find himself over in the pages of X-Force. Well, either way, this run of X-Force has focused predominantly on this mutant CIA led by a number of the X-Men's most notable mainstays. Now, some of these mainstays have been performing less and less like perhaps their cultural interpretation. Take a look at Beast. Beast has gone deeper and deeper down this dark beast sort of rabbit hole. And then there's new layers, like what we see happening with Sage in the most recent issue. Now, I don't know that I had ever predicted a storyline of Sage struggling with alcoholism for the character, but it's interesting to see where Percy wants to take the characters, especially because he's a writer who focuses so much on the aftermath and the after effect of his plot lines. Now, as the team points out in this next segment, there are a number of plot lines sort of open and running around X-Force, which makes me happy that Ben Percy has two titles that he's able to execute a number of these ideas out on. I know for my sake, though, I'm still hoping that he's able to return to the character Solemn that he introduced for the Ten of Swords event. Either way, we hope you guys enjoy this next segment featuring Drew, Maddie, Kyle, and Josh as they discuss the most recent issue of X-Force. Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of Access for Podcast. My name is Maddie, and as always, you can find me over on Instagram at the Basically Covetous Man and over on Twitter at Basically Covetous. Hey, I'm Drew. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drewcifer3. That's at D R E W S I P H E R 3. I'm Kyle. You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82, D R A N T I S 82. I'm Josh Wheel. You can find me at Asleep at the Wheel, W E I L, on Twitter and at asleepatthewheel.com. And as always, for the next two years as the Democratic candidate running for U.S. Senate in Florida, you can find me at wheel for us Senate, W-E-I-L, the number four, U.S. Senate, cross social media. And we have assembled together once again to bring you the latest issue of X-Force number 18, uh, Shadows of the Mind, written by Ben Percy, with art by Gary Brown, color art by Guru EFX, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, and design by Tom Muller. Quentin Quire can't stop dying, but he'd sure like to. Equipped with a new costume and a new lease on life, Quentin is in many ways ready to be properly reborn. That is, however, complicated by the repeated appearance of an astral creature whose victims show traces of Quentin's psionic footprint. With Beast having suffered a stroke and Sage having succumbed to her drinking problem, Quentin and Phoebe are left with little support as they seek to end this creature's violent tirade and free their allies from its mental grip. Now, this is two issues into what I imagine will be a three-issue arc focused very heavily on Quentin, which is 
maybe a little bit overdue for the book in which he is the butt end of the joke. How did we all feel coming into X-Force 18? I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen just because like I did kind of end like to me last week's issues kind of seemed like it was just a single kind of character issue with like a twist ending with the whole jumbo thing. And I thought that's kind of just what it was going to be since it was around Valentine's Day, you know. Um, so I wasn't really expecting it to be, be like a little three-parter or, you know, like a new trend, but I, I'm here for it. I am glad that we're finally looking into the after effects of the X-Force members dying so often and the fact that they don't always recover their bodies. It's definitely something that's long overdue and I'm, I'm happy to finally see it. I mean, I thought it was a really enjoyable book. You know, I think so as well. And I feel like I, I've been fortunate to cover so much of X-Force as part of X for Podcast, and I'm really growing to love Ben Percy's work on both X-Force and Wolverine. But I feel that I, you know, I've made no secret in the past about my feelings regarding the trajectory of X-Force as an ongoing series, however captivated I am by its content week to week. And part of what I think I've been getting wrong about the tone of this book is that with no singular imminent threat to the island, the structure of X-Force is somewhat fluid. They as a unit are fielding a variety of domestic and international threats, assessing their potentiality, and in most cases standing by for future action. So when Zeno hasn't been mentioned for six issues, or the Cold War collusion storyline goes, well, cold, it just means there's no immediate need for X-Force in these cases. And I think that we're starting to get the moments in between. And I'm really loving this shift now, you know, so far removed from our last crossover, coming up very rapidly on 20 issues. Uh, how do we all feel about the the decompression of the pace of X-Force? So we talked about the interesting pacing with these Dawn of X and now Reign of X books when we were covering the, the most recent issue of Hellions. And you know, I think that Zeb Wells does a phenomenal job of pacing out that book where it feels like each story is told in the right amount of issues. You know, before Dawn of X, everything we got was five or six issues, whether it needed to be two or whether it needed to be ten. Um, and and storytelling suffered in that, you know, absolute mandate, everything must fit a trade kind of mentality. And we've got none of that recently. And I think on some other stories, like I was really happy on Hellions to see that one going more than two, because I was getting, I'm starting to get a little burned out, which I know is ungrateful because it's been so long since we had these two issue stories, but on the in and out, on like the one issue build up, the one issue resolution, which I think we got a lot of. Um, and I like how that new Hellion story is really pacing itself. I say all that because this story doesn't feel like it needed to be more than two issues. I was really surprised at the end of 18 when it ended because I felt like we had covered so little ground and it had been kind of stalled and dragged out through this issue and that this one really probably should have resolved at the end of this issue. I, it does not feel to me like there's more than two issues worth of story here, which is, you know, a criticism I've had of some of Percy's stories before. You know, his, his Wolverine two-parter uh, at the beginning beginning of X of Swords uh, could have been a single issue. You know, I, I definitely I definitely agree that in some cases, you know, especially considering that X-Force is somewhat the book without conclusion, you know, what I'm beginning to realize about Percy's work on the title is that he seeded a lot of the future action in the first dozen or so issues, and especially as we've moved away from Ten of Swords, he's begun to hone in on the nuances of cast and to decompress with them, 
to allow for bigger breaths and stories. But there are still some instances that could use a little bit of tying up. And I I am curious to see what a third issue in this arc will look like. And, you know, for what reason this has to be the length that it is. I, I'm not opposed to it by any means. Uh, because at this point, the narrative is moving itself forward. We've got a handful of enemy organizations in the shadows, uh, a South American country we royally fucked up, and an ocean full of Krakoan cancer monsters. Like, we're, we've got narrative cl- conflict uh, in space. What we're getting of late is a chance to really observe the actual characters long enough to identify with them. Yeah, I think that's very true. I agree with what you said that uh, recently it's felt like there's just been a, a glut of various storylines that don't get resolved, or haven't been resolved, and having this consecutive storyline, it feels like a shift in the way that things are being, um, the story is being told, and it feels like stuff is going to start coming together between not only this, but the Russians. Looking at the last couple pages where Quentin's in the astral plane, you see him pick up the the shirt that he was wearing when Mikhail pretty much dragged him through the portal and he got stabbed by the little murder doll thing, whatever it was. So yeah, I, th- I think we're finally going to be seeing some resolution on some of these storylines. That was actually like a storyline that I forgot about. And even um, there was the part where Xavier's like Cerebrosword got stolen too. And I know that's like a huge thing with like this current line is kind of planting seeds and bringing them up later. We know like Hickman's done it a lot in X-Men and even in Hawk Hawk. But I like, again, like we said, we're almost 20 issues in and we've planted, like I feel like we've planted so many seeds and now we're getting into like uh, a little bit more into like the depths of the characters. Um, and we're kind of on like a Quentin Choir, you know, showcase right now, um, you know, with like through kind of a little bit of age too with this issue. And it's, we've kind of forgotten about plot for a little bit. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying it's easy, but uh, a little bit more balance between the two, I think is what this series could benefit from. You know, and I'm, I'm so curious to see how this is going to read as a trade. I'm really curious to see how this first dozen and a half issues is going to read consecutively. I, I, I don't see the, I don't see an immediate future where every single seed that's been planted pays off, but I don't not trust the process. I am in some ways, in many ways, excited to be moving away from the last major arc, which was the Russian collusion storyline. I am excited to be moving back into the Xeno plot because that was seeded in the very first arc of X-Force. And so in that way, if we're going to start unraveling these threads, if we're going to start unpacking what's already been established, may as well start in the beginning and work our way out. And in this way, I feel like despite the past two issues being what you can call just a Quentin Quire showcase, it is sort of the last of the showcases. Because if you think about it, Beast has gotten his time to shine. Wolverine has gotten more than enough time to shine. Sage is now getting a little bit of time to shine. It's Quentin's turn. Jean is gone. And Colossus got dragged through the mud. So that's pretty much it. Oh, and Domino. Domino had had a traumatic, uh, horrific event centered around her in the very beginning of the book's run. And is still kind of dealing with the psychological fallout. And I'm sure we'll get follow-up there. But everyone's been touched on by this point. 
So for me, in my head, per my hopes, I'm I'm truly thinking that the Quentin Choir Showcase is going to be the last of the the rotation, and we'll start getting some resolution in some. You know where it'd be a really you know it'd be a really good place to resolve some of these issues. Where's that? The gala. Ooh, I you know, and and I'm glad you brought up the Hellfire Gala because while while I certainly am not using this time to speculate on what may or may not be. I, I am just expressing a little bit of concern that there are so many moving pieces from so many books going on right now, going into the Hellfire Gala, that I think it's dangerous for me, for my brain, to make predictions or establish ex- expectations because I'm sure I'm going to be wildly off base. I don't know about anybody yeah, else. Yeah, and not only, like, I don't, like, I just, like, we don't want, like, a WandaVision thing to happen, you know, where we, like, plan out a whole arc and then, you know, nothing happens and then you end up getting disappointed, right? So You're just like, you know. where's Mephisto? Where's where's Mephisto yeah. the whole time? Um, but you know, if we could if we could jump back to uh to Zeno for a minute in in the interest of looking for a resolution to some of these conflicts, uh the forces of Zeno don't seem to have a set plan for infiltrating Krakoa so much as they are incredibly adaptable and make use of whatever leverage they get their hands on. Uh, the domino incident is mentioned earlier from early in this run, sure could have been a whole lot worse, but objectively, it is a much different tactic than to synthesize an astral demon from the mind of an Omega-level telepath. You know, they're kind of flying by the seat of their pants here, but knowing this, and with a blind trust that the scientific minds of Zeno are capable of just about anything, who is a mutant that you believe would be the most dangerous to be exploited by Zeno in the future? X-Force, tangentially related or otherwise? I, I think right now that Sage is kind of, you know, she's kind of destined to be taken over. We've got a couple data pages in this issue um, that talks about like telepathy or like Zeno and kind of, or like the figure and taking over the minds and it says specifically of like drunk people and we know that Sage has been drinking a lot in this issue so it's kind of like, you know, put two and two together. You know, and, and there was such such attention paid to one of the, the lines that Sage had this issue which is that a physically compromised version of the bodies of the X-Force brain trust is like a damaged hard drive full of invaluable information. You know, knowing that the resurrection protocol doesn't back up the minds of its recipients to the moment of their death and coupled now with Sage's burgeoning alcoholism, you know, it's it's clear that if one of the two of them were going to be compromised, it is probably Sage at this point. You know, Beast is in resurrection protocols, but do we fear, as far as moving the story forward, that the two men behind the scenes operation of Beast and Sage are letting matters of national security slip through the cracks. So let's also point out it's not a two-man behind-the-scene operation. It's a three-man behind-the-scene operation. And the third man is Black Tom Cassidy, who was having a little dream fantasy about his old life-made cane before he got pulled in by the astral whatever in our cold open for this issue. So Black Tom's knowledge, remember, and they were very specific about pointing this out too. The Veg tells Black Tom everything, every square centimeter of every square acre accounted for in the ledger of me mine. So he has a complete up to the minute knowledge of every square inch of Krakoa and what's going on everywhere. And so that's just as important as whatever you get out of Sage's mind, um, if or when she gets 
uh, compromised. Yeah, holy shit. I, you know, and I, I, I made point to to jot down, oh, talk about Black Tom, but wow, I, you know, I hadn't even considered that, you know, Sage is a potential future uh, victim, but Black Tom is literally gone on the first page of the 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 issue. That's that's the winner. That is the most <laughs> that is the most dangerous X Force member to be to be exploited because it's literally happening. And I'm so glad that you you made mention of his of his little dream about Kane Marco because it was I I had to read it again. I was like, is this like, this is literally what we're getting? I I'm over the moon, and I'm I'm just so over the moon about the if. If we can just sidetrack for a moment the the little subtle representation for our queer community that we're getting out of this era of of x force uh, not x force excuse me just the x line is is really incredible and to see you know then later a little sweet moment between the polycule that is logan scott and gene in this issue you know it's hard to call it an agenda but it, it, it is certainly something that is present in these books and felt in these books and appreciated from these books so that cane joke in the cold open really warmed my heart a little bit yeah that little segment made me really happy to see i wasn't expecting to see it so blatantly when i opened the book so it was a nice surprise and i will agree that black tom being targeted like he was is a very scary thing for krakoa yeah i'm really worried to see what happens with that going forward especially since we don't really know if that was just in his mind or if he was really truly taken. I kind of just figured that the Black Tom and Juggernaut were actually supposed to be a thing when they were like originated. I think it was with an uh, interview with like uh, Fabian Nicieza and he said that he did want to make them like an actual on-page thing and so just seeing it on this page I was like oh. <laughs> and I'm so glad that we're on the topic of Black Tom because you know now whether you brought up a great point which is whether or not he was actually taken or whether it was in his mind i i feel that the art indicated that he was he was gone there was there was something about a stillness and a silence in that last panel that just the absence of of life there but part of the complication about the resurrection protocol as echoed in the pages of x factor is being able to provide proof of death and given the nature of how black tom disappeared early in this issue i'm not too certain there's any trace of his vanishing. How long do we think that it's going to take for Black Tom to return to us? Well, there are other ways they do it in the protocols. It's not necessarily just a body. Obviously, a body helps, but lack of connection to Cerebro. Obviously, they can also use things because of Black Tom's connection to Krakoa. Uh, Doug and Krakoa could be involved. I think there are other ways that they can go about. And X-Force, we know, has special permission where they don't necessarily have to follow all the rules of Krakoa. So I, I don't necessarily know that this means Black Tom's out of the picture. I had trouble following it in terms of, you know, if he's really gone or, or what this means per se, because I just was not a fan of the art in this issue particularly. I have been very clear that I'm a huge fan of everything we've seen from Joshua Kassara lately. I think that he's just coming into his own. We're getting to watch him really flourish in the best possible way, and his work has been phenomenal. Uh, but Gary Brown's work on this issue did not do it for me. I His really heavy line 
work his, and heavy inking were kind of distracting. You know, that, that maybe worked in some of the psychic distortion panels, but then in some of the quieter panels was just distracting. It was helped out a lot by having Guru FX there as the consistent colorer, um, tying it in with previous issues and the, you know, kind of Krakoan color scheme as a whole. point that really got me with the art was the scene with Jean. A lot of her faces, it really took me out of the story. That section was actually what I was just looking at. And while the the body horror elements of the art look fantastic, those other sections, specifically Jean, she looks like she's melting in some of these frames. And it's, it's or some of these panels. You know, it's so difficult because Joshua Cassara, as Josh had mentioned, is doing such a fantastic job really coming into his own in this issue, in this run. And it's a little bit difficult to see him step away. Now, whether he's stepping away just for the moment or is stepping away in general is not knowledge that is that is known to me. And I do hope that he does come back. But I think that Gary Brown is doing a mostly good job in replicating the likeness of a lot of these characters. I look specifically at the the work done on Sage in the Green Lagoon. And a lot of that sequence is is made more stark, especially the the reveal when Blob turns out to be one of the psionic creatures. You know, sure, there are moments such as the Summer's Habitat, which, you know, border a little bit blockish, but I, I definitely I definitely can see a lot of good and a lot of potential for him moving forward if he does end up the resident artist in X-Force. I find that a lot of 90s stuff used a lot of line work, so maybe eventually, like, if they needed an artist on, like, the X-Men Legends line that's kind of going on right now, that would probably be, like, a good spot for them, you know, to to showcase that kind of line work. You know, and and it's it's just one of those things where sometimes there is, there just isn't that synergy between a, a coupling of an artist and a writer. It's not that I think that Gary Brown is not the fit for Ben Percy, but I think that Gary Brown's interpretation of Ben Percy's X-Force is a little bit jarring, especially in contrast with the beautiful nuance of Josh Cassara's art for 16, 17 issues at this point. I think that we have been a little bit, you know, not to say spoiled, because we're certainly not ungrateful, but I think in some regard, the consistency in the art teams for this era of X has been something a little bit to count on, especially knowing that Percy is anchoring two books that largely have had the same art team, you know, working in tandem. I wanted to pivot back to some of the content of this issue for a moment. You know, the issue shows that the creature X-Force is up against can attack a host from seemingly anywhere, as evidenced by Jean's experience in the summer's habitat on the moon, which we've just talked about. So does anybody care to posit a guess as to how it's managing to carry out these attacks from such great distances? Do we think that it's a, it's a Sage made a point of mentioning that it's a spider on a psionic web and that that's sort of what is connected and tethered to each person. But do we think that it's targeting the members of X-Force specifically because of their proximity to Quentin? Or are we only being shown these attacks because of their relation to X-Force? Because if you think about it, Quentin and Black Tom don't have a lot of interplay. Quentin and Jean don't have a lot of interplay. She's no longer involved in X-Force. So why do we think that it's, it's attacking these members specifically do we think that it's a xenoplot or do we think that it's contingent on something of quentin's subconscious 
I definitely think that it's related to Quentin's subconscious. It does act like his kind of malicious side saturated. And it's, I, I feel like because it has that connection to him and he has that connection to all these other characters because of his position on X-Force, that it is targeting them. And with Jean specifically, because of of how powerful she is i think he kind of possibly sees her as maybe competition okay you know and i think that that would be mirrored then in the conversation that he had with phoebe when she specifically made mention of maybe we should get gene involved well no gene quit x-force well no you said she quit beast you know i i thought that that was you know for surface value i thought that mm-hmm. that was just opening the door for gene to possibly be reintroduced to x-force but no you're right i would point out that uh uh, Jean has still been on most of the covers for X-Force since um, she quit, quote unquote, quit X-Force. So in my mind, like she's if she's not a member of the team, she's still a character in the book. And she was in this issue. This is very true. She she is in this issue. And part of me wonders if that is because this is still kind of a temporary holding ground for her before she, you know, in for my money, uh, pivots over to X-Men and co-leads with Scott. I don't know if that's confirmed, but I, I think it kind of has to be at this point. I, uh, you know, and I'll be sad to see her go, but you're absolutely right. She has been appearing on most of the cover. She definitely still can be considered an X-Force character. And not only that, but this outside force does not know that Jean has quit. Like people, like it wouldn't be general knowledge that Jean Grey is not on X Force anymore. To me, it's trying to get information on on what X Force knows, so it's going to every single person that was on X Force. And like you said, Kyle, she's an Omega level telepath, right? So um, she's kind of on that connection more than like that on the astral plane connection thing more than anybody. Do you so you think that despite the 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 physical distance between Jean, not only the distance between herself and you know Quentin or herself and her team but the physical distance between her and Krakoa she still is susceptible because of her involvement or or closeness to that astral plane yeah We've been seeing a lot in S.W.O.R.D. that, um, you know, the there is links because of the gates. Like, the gates themselves are kind of transfer and represent extensions of Krakoa. So, I mean, any of the members who are anywhere near a gate are technically still not that far from Krakoa, even if they're not on, you know, the main physical island. That's true, and I suppose in that way it keeps them close in that sort of metaphysical, like, zeitgeist consciousness that would be, you know, the proximity of all mutants. I can definitely stand that, for sure. Before we depart today, I just wanted to, who knows the next time that we're going to get so much attention paid to Quentin Choir. So I'm really going to milk it for all it's worth. And I properly fell in love with Quentin during his rehabilitation in the pages of Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X-Men, where he was very much under the Wolverine uh, wing, begrudgingly or otherwise. So to see Quentin's journey of growth in the pages of X-Force be met with these complications of not being able to trust himself or his memories, I can't help but think of his mentorship coming full circle. Does anybody else miss the influence of Wolverine in this Quentin arc, or do we feel that his path of self-discovery no longer requires a mentor? 
I mean, I think we're seeing Quentin grow up. This has been something that has been really teased at and stretched out over, you know, Bendis's run, over Jason Aaron's run, over Christina Strain's run. Uh, and we're, we're finally seeing him kind of step into that role and kind of be his own man, which is great. I loved issue 17. Um, I thought issue 17 was uh, fantastic and did a really, really great job of kind of building that relationship and getting to see Quentin through the eyes of Phoebe, getting to see uh, through the eyes of his cuckoo was really helpful, you know, because we got to see, you know, why she loves him um, and everything that she's seeing in him as well uh, to show his growth. So, you know, Percy's doing a really great job of helping, of, of ushering this character into his own here. Um, it's definitely been the high point of these last couple issues. I just think that it's something he wants to do for himself to prove to prove himself that, you know, he isn't kind of like, you know, he's always dead, useless, omega level mutant. You know, he can actually do something to piggyback on josh's mention of 17 i also loved 17 i really really did and part of me was expecting some resolution to come out of this issue which ultimately we did get so it's fine i'm gonna trust 19 to wrap it up but i i think that there is something about you know quentin coming into his own in this regard quentin has still never lived down right at xavier right at xavier is quentin choir's defining moment that for all of his history in the 20 years since then he like that is the defining moment of Quentin Quire and you know he he hasn't escaped that and I'm sure that that I think Percy is writing him in a way that that still weighs heavy you know over his conscience yeah I can definitely see that I can see him trying desperately to do things that will make others see him as more responsible more grown up um, than he was at that point in time and allowing himself to make a connection with Phoebe like this and taking this uh, duty on himself. Yeah, I, I see that as attempts to move forward and try to better himself. I think last issue too, getting, I, I want to say we mentioned this when we discussed 17, but getting the costume from Jumbo Carnation was like a very significant, tangible thing for his kind of recovery from Riot at Xavier's because his Riot at Xavier's was, you know, the catalyst for that was the murder of Jumbo Carnation. Um, so, you know, that was a, a big full circle moment in his growth, I, uh, I think. And, you know, the use of that character uh, was not incidental. Another another fantastic connection that I I completely let go over my head. Thank you for thank you for pointing that out. That is that really brings brings a lot more, you know, appreciation for me to say, uh, to issue 17. You know, if, if anything, then it makes me wish that we had gotten the dismount from Jumbo's kind of psychic episode takeover when he was coming at him with the shears you know it was kind of resolved off panel and in that way I feel like there could have yeah. been a moment made out of it we never talked about that was anyone else confused that we just started as if that had already been resolved and we didn't see like I, I was left a little lost there at you know there was just like one throwaway line like halfway through the issue about how that finished up or something but did anyone else I find that a little disorienting it, it kind of confused me at first but then once you keep reading through the issue um and then like going back to that the way jeans kind of works out it's almost as if it's like a vision you know what i mean or she's like what the you know she's like looks back at logan and it's like oh and he's like all weird and demented but then he's fine so that's kind of like i was like is that how it happened like is that kind of what it's like so it's like oh he's fine now you know i it wasn't really resolved kind of on panel so 
and you know now now it makes me wonder how to to tie it back into last issue how the passengers of the cruise ship that were mauled by this creature in a variety of ways you know colossus blinding a woman with with his thumbs in her eyes and you know presumably wolverine you know slashing a man's chest open how where is the line between these these psychic confrontations and the escalation to a physical confrontation you know why and you you see in the in the summer habitats Jean's face is is mauled from her kiss with wolverine now that that's something that we're seeing. That's something that she wouldn't see. But is she is she presuming to feel that? Is that part of this? Is it is it like a full psychic takeover? And at what point does it become physical? Yeah, that's something that I'm actually confused by because she's such a powerful telepath that you'd think that she would be able to defend against something like that. And it's it's obvious that it was something that she was feeling because when it cuts back to the normal view of her and Logan, she doesn't have any of that damage. So... But, but like, Quentin is also an Omega-level mutant, so, like, you could say really the same thing about him, like, how can he be, you know, like, susceptible to an attack when he's also Omega? That's true. So, I don't know. I don't know. We'll you have know, to keep reading to find out. I, I suppose we will. It was a good, it, like, it was a good issue overall. Going back... My favorite scene from this issue, you know, we didn't talk about it yet, but Phoebe's sexy little whisper into Quentin's ear. He's telling him that he's he needs a little help with empathy. And uh, he says, you know, what are you saying? I'm a dick. And then she leans in and has that little sexy, quiet whisper into his ear. Yeah, but you're my dick. Um, was probably my, my favorite little character moment. I, I love the way he's using some of these characters. Sage is not one of them. I, I have some very, very strong feelings about this burgeoning alcoholism line. And I, I, I am not particularly a fan, you know, but this is a book that has laid a lot of groundwork like you said before it's it's planted a lot of seeds it's run a lot of threads this was my favorite book at the start of dawn of x it's the one that really gave us the most into the krakoan lore and kind of managing the the meta story and now that new mutants has taken on new life i do kind of feel that this book is maybe the one with the least amount of direction that it's just kind of been meandering for a while and it doesn't need to because there are so many threads that are unresolved and laid out there so i, I I really hope that we we pick up and start you know moving moving somewhere with what feels like a little more purpose and momentum x-force really has never been my favorite book i'm not a big fan of things getting super violent but i've found that this issue and issue 17 were incredibly enjoyable for me so i may be turning around on on this book a little more and i looking forward to seeing what happens in issue 19 I have two things about this issue that really got me in different ways. You know, first off, as, as somebody with a varied history of additions and dependencies, I I definitely thought that the tone of Sage's data log at the end of this issue was uncomfortably uh, familiar. And it was the dissonance between her admission of guilt and awareness and her helplessness to do anything that really, that really sunk it for me, you know? in that way and I don't think anybody wants to see a character particularly a character that they love go through something difficult something tumultuous something something personal and tragic but I think the handling of it if if it continues down this road can be something that I can get behind and a a moment of levity my second favorite part of this issue was 
was watching Beast come completely undone by being repeatedly called stupid. Just completely done in by one word, which is stupid. And that in and of itself is just like the uh, a piece of me will carry that in my heart always. Just knowing that Beast is that frail and insecure. <laughs> Hey everybody, Nico here again, and this next segment is Magic on Every Level. As always, Rod, Robbie, and Raven come together to discuss the most recent issue of Strange Academy. I love that we cover this title, not just because it's a great title by an amazing team, but the sort of magical threads that bind this book together aren't necessarily the spellcasting. It's this idea of classic family and that we are so much more than just the understanding of who we are in the classroom, that we all have this deep life and that's something that the X books have long focused on in a world where the new mutants is a title that needs to focus on multiple generations of new mutants it's really nice having a title like strange academy which while not strictly X does feature those same emotional beats that made Claremont's new mutants through Christina Weir and Nunzio de Philippus's new mutants equally magical there is some discussion of the Scarlet Witch in this next segment and I think it's a great time for Scarlet Witch to be appearing in as much Marvel as she can. After some recent success in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, she made unbelievable headway in the cultural vernacular with the success of WandaVision, and it would be nice to see this character, who is so tied to mutant lore by virtue of those three magic words, get a little bit more payoff in the pages of X-Men. Now guys, as always, if you like what you hear, you might like what you see, so check us out over on YouTube and Twitter at X's for Podcast. If you like what we do, then you might want to subscribe over on Patreon, where you can help us decide the fate and course of the show going forward. As always, guys, we love making this show for you, and we love sharing it with you twice a week, every week. Drop us a review over on Apple Podcasts, Enjoy this last segment. Keep those mutant lights lit. And until next time, guys, we'll see ya. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the next segment of X's for Podcast. I am Rod. You can find me at Rod Kamada on Twitter and Instagram. And today we have with us Robbie. Hi, everyone. I am Robbie, and you can find me at Age of Polaris on Twitter. And I'm Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Bento. You can find me on Twitter. Just go ahead and type that in. You'll find me all over the place, and I'll be trying to be on, on social media as much as I can. So should be interesting. All right, y'all. And we are back with y'all for another segment of Strange Academy number nine. Mm-hmm. Writer is Scotty Young. The main artist is Humberto Ramos. The color artist is Edgar Delgado. And the letterer is VC's Clayton, Clayton Cowles. All right. So y'all, this was this was the one I've been kind of waiting for because it had the main cover was Parents Day, you know, Mm -hmm. and we see that Doyle and Calvin, you know, they don't have either they don't have parents or they don't have the best parents. So they're not going to show up. So I was like, (laughs) oh, statement of the year. Right. (laughs) So I was like, oh, this no parents. God of a dark dimension. I mean, probably I would probably pick no parents. Because then you probably you're like destined for evil and destined to people probably kill you. That's not the greatest the greatest destiny. <laughs> but we get to find out more about Doyle and Calvin in this issue, which is great and kind of scary, honestly. <laughs> what did mm-hmm. you think about the first few pages, Robbie, with Calvin? I thought it was really sad because I imagine it's just him like daydreaming of kind of getting back at his foster parents. 
So it was just really, I mean, I understand why he would, you know, imagine wanting to get back at them for the abusive way that they speak to him. And it's really sad because he's such a sweet character. And to, like, see asshole parents talking down to him, it's it's very, yeah, sad. <laughs> I know it was, da- we know it was daydream towards the end, mm-hmm. correct? But mm-hmm. my thing is, was it really daydreaming? Or was he just in denial and being like, oh, I had, like, or is he, like, remembering what happened? I, I don't think it was a daydream. I think he was remembering the abuse that his foster parents uh, heaped on him. And hmm. the first time he lashed out, yes. I think he had fall i think he had fallen asleep in class mm-hmm. and yeah that that he was remembering this which oh. is a wildly unfortunate thing but something that actually happens quite often in the foster system is certain not so great foster parents are actually really super abusive towards the kids and there's there's widespread reports of of children being abused and there's not nearly enough being done so yeah i don't think that was a daydream i am very sure that that was abuse that he had suffered at the hands of his foster parents. Yes, yes, I definitely think so. It, Strange Academy, this is one of the things that it, it is known for doing, or Scotty Young is known for doing, is putting, you know, childlike lessons in his books. And this is a good example of, like, uh, real-world situations, like you said, Raven, with the foster care system not being the best. People just, you know, adopting kids to get the money or the benefits of adopting a child, et cetera, et cetera. And they just don't really want them. And it's, and it's unfortunate because it looks like it made Calvin a murderer, you know? And mm-hmm. he was defending himself in a sense, but like he killed them. <laughs> so yeah. that's not that's not great for like his mortal soul and just for his own like psyche. It's yeah. very damaging. Yeah. <sighs> man that i feel for him i honestly feel for him um i'm actually adopted i'm a i was a foster care kid i got adopted relatively early but you know late enough that i have some solid memories of the place and yeah it's like i feel for him because when you're a foster kid uh all what you would normally do to build your identity with your family you don't have that you're getting bounced around from house to house you know especially if you act up or you're not one of these really well-played kids because i mean you're going through a lot of internal turmoil they keep bouncing you around which honestly does even more damage so yeah i I really super identified with this and i also really felt horrible for him because yeah that's that really sucks and that really sucks that that's the way he found out what his uh ties to magic were to have such a dark experience being your first experience so beautifully done art perfectly done for what uh what they wanted you could really kind of feel that kind of grainy tension of a almost like a the, the edge of a nightmare and then yeah just i mean it was, it was so well done and oh i loved it but also it really tugged at like some particularly deep spots with me oh yeah Rave, i remember you telling us that you were you know adopted and from the foster system before so i actually thought of you when i read this because i was like oh i know you know we talk about strange cat so <laughs> i was like i know raven is probably going to connect to this and I, I'm interested to see her viewpoint. And I'm glad you gave it to us. Um, have I mean, is it, would you feel like it's common for kids to like have this 
if it was just a daydream, we're assuming it's not. We assume it's just a memory. But would you think it's common for kids to probably like have this daydream of trying to get revenge? Well, on? yeah, it's like it definitely. If um, if he was abused, I could absolutely see it. If this was actually just a daydream, I could see it being one of those kind of darker daydreams where you're like, oh, I should have just stood up for myself. I should have, you know, I should have hit him back for all the times that he punched me and you know beat me and made me bleed. You know, I just if I had just been stronger, if I had just fought back. You know, yeah, I can absolutely see a daydream going that route, uh, especially for a kid who's been abused and especially for a kid who's been in the foster system and abused. So, yeah, if it was if it was actually just a daydream, I, yeah, it dark is definitely where it could go without <laughs> without any shadow of a doubt. Definitely, definitely. Thank you for sharing that, Raven. I really appreciate mm-hmm. that. Now to move on away from the little sadness, because <laughs> we do get hit with the sadness really quickly in this issue. But then we go to the next few pages. And we get this really, like, I love this outfit, this teacher (laughs) professor outfit they gave to Scarlet Witch. Listen, that uh, outfit. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Perfection. Right? They didn't have to go that hard on that outfit. Right? (laughs) Like, that outfit is, I I love it. I love it. I know. Like, thank you, Edgar Delgado. And uh, thank you, Humberto Ramos, both of them. Seriously. They killed it with Wanda. I mean, a lot of the fashion in this this, um, this Strange Academy, because they have to come up with different fashions for the kids and teachers and Mm -hmm. everything. They're really hitting it. I like this scene with like Scarlet Witch and her seeing her as a professor. It's not, it's only one page, so it's not that much, but I hope we get more of her because I just want to see more Wanda, especially after WandaVision. The hype is real. We need to see more Wanda. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) But then we move into, you know, it's parents day. We're starting to see all the parents. And this was honestly probably my favorite part of the whole issue. (laughs) Yeah. Because, like, besides, like, the hijinks, which there is a lot, and I love that. Well, we find out so much about these individual characters we didn't know for. Mm-hmm. And I love that extra information we get. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I love Emily Blake's parents, because <laughs> it, it was great that, like, nobody's parents really seemed to freak out. But, like, of all of the parents there, they seem to be the most, uh, from the most mundane. But, yeah, like, they come in and they're like, oh, okay, you've got a, you've got a talking, uh, talking cat cat beast and there's a frost giant and it's like oh my god okay we're cool with this we're cool with this we're cool with this little little bit much but we're cool with this exactly i i personally um identified a lot with emily's mom with the um competitiveness and the um and the aggressiveness of wanting to win all the time when you're playing the game i would trip loki she feels at zelma and loki and she's like no it's a -a one-of-a-kind ancient deity totem and they're like oh they're like oh shit this human knows her shit i was like yeah people people that are competitive know their shit when they want to win all right but don't skip right past moon petal oh my god like her mother is the polar opposite of her oh yeah (laughs) and he oh my god when she was introducing thoth and the mother oh my god just oh he doesn't ever talk ever like can you imagine me if i never talked yes so very clearly (laughs) you could hear the exasperation (laughs) in her and then yeah i didn't i didn't realize the brothers loki is their uncle yeah of all the people loki is their uncle I want to know, like, apparently their father probably isn't that important, but they're like, and you know your mother. Who is their mother? I right. 
I ha- I know we're, we're obviously going to find out they wouldn't put that in there for no reason, but I hope right. we find out soon because that's going <laughs> to irk me because like there's so many powerful, crazy Asgardian people. It could be anybody. <laughs> like, could yeah, be anybody. I was very curious about that mother name type of mm-hmm. drop or that mention. Um Oh, that's it. (laughs) Oh, my God. And then Zoe and Desi. (laughs) I know. I was like, okay, so I was getting like like a little lesbian vibes between them, right? Like a little light. Yeah. Like before this issue, right? And I was like, oh, maybe I'm just reading into it. Maybe I'm just being hopeful. And and I'm like, no, no. Scotty Young said, no, you were right. They like each other. And I was like, yes. I ship it. And thank you. Oh, I, right. And did you see that they they changed the color of her voice? The the the, the lettering oh, box. Yeah, they did. Yeah, she usually has like kind of a black tone to it. And this it was a very pink fuchsia. I'm like, oh girl, go get it. Okay. Oh, I didn't even notice that. That's yeah, a really it, good catch. Yeah, it was very yeah. straight and not wiggly anymore. It was very like yeah. not not like dark and like uh, <laughs> evil. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. It was very like oh i'm talking to you sweetly i love that <laughs> it's okay in fact it is very okay I'm like oh i love it i love it i love it i ship it it's good <laughs> it really is and to talk about like um what is her name uh, all these there's so many characters remember me remember all these names i gotta go back to the key thing so shaylee her mom when you said that oh she just wants her to be quiet as a former teacher, I've seen so many parents like meet each other with their kids and her her mom, the queen, being like, yes, I, I wish my child was like that. I wish my child would listen to me and would be quiet and stop bugging me all the time. But it's not happening. <laughs> I relate. All my students, their parents are just like that, too. Oh, my God. It's so it's so funny and it's so sad, but she's so sweet and I love her. So and I honestly I'm thinking, are we supposed to believe that um for Toth, are we supposed to believe mm-hmm. that Man Thing is his dad? Because if Man Thing's his dad, I am super excited about that. I mean, it makes some sense if you've looked at the face, they do mm-hmm. have some similar facial features. But for some reason I thought Man Thing was one of the teachers at the academy. Although it wouldn't be unheard of to have a, a relative at your school teaching and whatnot. My father taught at my high school. Oh, yeah. He is one of the teachers. So that's probably why he was there also. Duh. And he and that they're from his universe, the Nexus universe. So mm-hmm. I was just trying to show them around. That makes sense. I just got too hopeful. <laughs> no, no, actually, you're not too hopeful because I, I just went back and I'm looking at one of these panels. They also have the same eyes. And Man-Thing is putting on a yellow t-shirt. Oh, yeah. And they're holding each oh. other. Oh, my God. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. that was just for the families to wear a t-shirt. Right. Oh my gosh, that's his dad. I want Man Thing to be my dad. Yeah, I feel like that'd oh. be so cool. <laughs> oh my Isn't god, there yeah. an upcoming story with uh, about Man Thing coming mm-hmm. out? I think so. There's yeah, there's oh, like man. a whole there's like a whole event coming out and like Steve mm-hmm. Orlando. That's actually Steve Orlando. Um, he's coming from DC to Marvel. That's gonna be his first big thing for Marvel. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at the mom's face. The mom's face is actually way more human. Humanoid. Oh my goodness gracious. Ah! 
I love it even more. I love oh, it even more. Like this is just yes. ugh, all of it is so good. And I love it. I love how um just bouncing around from the kids' parents because like that's why I was so excited for this issue because I wanted to see all their parents. But yeah. going back to like Desi's parents when he's like, Can I go <laughs> back to limbo now? Uh, are we done? Can I go torture? I have to torture some people. That was the best. I laugh so hard at that. I'm like, yep, that is definitely a demon dad. <laughs> there are minions that need torturing. You know, I would have been real curious to see what his reaction would have been if they would have ran into Ileana. Oh. That is a missed opportunity. Oh. Yeah. Because wouldn't he have to, like, bow to her? She's the queen of limbo. Interesting. So. Yeah, that, that would have been a really cool interaction. Also, we never really get Desi's opinion about being taught by the queen of her dimension. <laughs> like, I want to see that kind of perspective, too. Hopefully we get it. Because, I mean, yeah. I feel like that's something you you would, like, want to touch on. That'd be interesting to touch on, you know? Yeah, definitely. Ooh, that'd be so good. Oh, man, I can't wait. I know. I love, <laughs> I love how much they jam-pack into, like, each panel, into each page. And, like, you can go back and just sit there and, like, every little detail go through it and find just a ton of, of like, little Easter eggs and, and goodies and stuff. I freaking love this. Oh, I yeah, love I love that because you could easily look at that and just see so many potentials, like potential <laughs> interactions in the future. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, oh I yeah. I, I want more issues like this. I hopefully in the next issue we get like maybe like it probably won't be the whole issue, but like maybe like a part two ending of Parent Day toward like in the mm. first beginning of the next issue, and then it's right. like oh bye parents. Like well, because yeah, like Parents Day does tend to be like more than just foot races, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, I know at the end of the issue, after they have, like, their little games and everything, mm-hmm. like, when, like, Doctor Strange is like, well, let me go give you all the tour, you know? Mm. And then, you know, um, Dr. Voodoo, my, my name <laughs> escaped me. Oh, my God. Dr. Voodoo's like, y'all, y'all go play again. And, like, y'all go race mm-hmm. again to your death. That's like a death trap, but it's fine. <laughs> They're magically trained. It's fine. So. <laughs> I, oh, my God. But, yeah. Oh, man. Oh. That was comedy when when uh, when Emily's uh, mother was like, yeah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Just say go. He's like, but I don't speed prepared. I know. Okay. <laughs> like, he looks so right. You know, when he said <laughs> fine go he was like why the fuck did i sign up for this <laughs> i know and can oh, we talk about how basic their shirts are like come on they're they're magic they can't like spruce up the family day shirts a little bit no little more designs. That, that's what makes it hilarious that's what honestly <laughs> makes it family day because if you've ever been True. to a family day there's always those cheesy t-shirts and just and they're oh, so there's basic. just something about it <laughs> right so basic super basic but True. like that's also like kind of what makes it family day true true i get you i definitely get that i like that yeah i get we can keep it the same it's fine <laughs> i like i like that <laughs> i like that slice of cheese that they put on stuff every now and again it just makes it so good yeah and it's probably easier for the artist too <laughs> so i would i like I, and it, it's for nostalgia and it's easier yeah calvin and doyle snuck off i was like oh yeah that's right they didn't join in they did sneak off because they were like well we could either watch them have fun or we could go do our own thing and they're like yeah we're gonna go explore um which is not the as we've seen in the past issues is not the best option to do on straight and academy to go explore i feel like we've seen that in many other you know sorcerer type movies and books you should not explore things on your own without like a magic guide it's not a good idea oh my god 
But luckily yeah. they did because we see some cool stuff. <laughs> so, like we get that like Beauty and the Beast type flower thing. Yeah. Like yes, the cool. Rose of Despair. Mm-hmm. The axe. <laughs> and that the skull mask. It's like, oh my God. And then the lightning gloves. Oh my God. Who just leaves those out laying around? Like... I mean, you know, Doctor Strange started this academy, so this looks like his house. I mean, oh my God, you're right, it does. I mean, he doesn't he he doesn't organize his house. (laughs) Those little gloves uh, definitely remind me of how uh, Chase wears gloves in Runaways. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I wonder if they did it on purpose to give us a little like Runaways kind of like hint because Nico's here and she hasn't had anything. <laughs> hmm. Oh my god. <laughs> but like how did how do they not have anybody guarding a a room or an area that has is just nothing but wall to wall exceedingly powerful items just kind of laying around? I mean, that's like letting a, a group of level two D and Ders go to the very end of a dungeon and just yeah, go ahead, play with the loot. That's a good idea. Like no. My excuse for them is this is their first year doing it and they do not know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> like the That's teachers, true. they don't know. <laughs> they don't know. Oh yeah. We should probably rope that up so children don't go wandering it. <laughs> they're like, it's fine. They'll learn their lesson. It's fine. One of them did just die, but it's fine. <laughs> like, right. Um oh when they when they were talking about Emily, he turned bright pink he did i really enjoyed that i i don't i don't know how they'll be together Mm -hmm. but i i hoping for them (laughs) i don't know how it's gonna work but (laughs) magic (laughs) i don't know (laughs) right (laughs) i like that they have um doyle and calvin have this connection though i mean they have this connection Mm -hmm. because they don't really have parents but you know they're exploring together calvin doesn't really have anybody and now he's like finally finding like a friendship Mm mm-hmm and that's really good for him. I was waiting. I knew we were probably going to get this moment with him in this issue, given the cover of it. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad we're getting it now. And it's really nice to see. <laughs> yeah. Going back to Emily's mom. Being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm all done. Can we appreciate the artist's work in this? Because I was like, this is a shit ton oh, to draw. <laughs> there's so much detail like i honestly do not know how they are doing one a month of these because holy crap like just like uh, my hat is off honestly to not only the color artist the penciler the anchor like anybody who touches this book just oh my goodness the amount of work that y'all have put into this is mind-boggling and so so good like oh my goodness so good oh yeah definitely I mean, it doesn't seem rushed at all. It seems like they took mm-hmm. the time to care. Mm-hmm. And also, this looks so fucking dangerous. <laughs> and they're just doing this for fun. Like, they don't win anything. <laughs> they just... Right? The, the, like, the reward is, like, you win. That's it. <laughs> right. It's like, let's see, a skull flame bridge, a bunch of sharp, pokey things, uh, a woods filled with a bunch of glowing eyes, sea urchin-type creatures, someplace that looks nuclear, octopus, dragon, ice field, lava pits. I'm just like, Jesus, there's a maze. Like... <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd probably be dead crossing the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> 
Robbie, what would be the point of you would be like, I'm just going to turn back on this obstacle oh, course? Okay, the point where I would turn back. Okay, so you see that little water right there at the beginning? <laughs> so what would happen is, you know, I might, you know, swim through it or whatever. And then when I get to that little, like, are those like swords sticking out of the ground? Or like metal? Or something to that effect. Okay, so it looks that like part, it, yeah. I would take one step into that, and then I would uh, sprain <laughs> my ankle, and then you know I. Be- <laughs> <laughs> right. Ooh, ooh. Oh, sorry. Twist my ankle. Nope. <laughs> I can't go any further. <laughs> See, like, this is a lot, but none of it really scares me until you get past that little green flame stuff and go to the spiky tentacle area. I don't do big octopus tentacle people thing. <laughs> that scares me. I don't, because you can't really control that. Like, you can dodge the fire. You can, like, mm-hmm. hurry across the bridge with your magic yeah, or whatever. Because what they know magic. You. Yeah, no, nah, I'm done. That's <laughs> somebody, some, if, if one of these fools can take care of it and then I'll walk across, that's fine. But I can't do that by myself. No. It's funny how they See, just I leave, think I'd make like... I make it most of the way through. It's funny how they leave, like, that maze for the end. <laughs> it's like, you would, think it would, you would think it would be something more crazier than a dragon, but it's like, no, nah, let's just give them a maze. But for all you know, though, there could be, like, monsters in that maze, maybe. Like, a little minotaur or two. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Man, these professors are crazy. They are crazy. That's what I tell you. They don't know what the hell they're doing. They're like, all these death traps. They're like, oh, they got it. This this is what the magical world is. They need to learn. I'm like, oh, goodness. See, honestly, I think I could make it most of the way through. The My downfall would be the freaking uh, the rope bridge with that, <laughs> with that, yeah, with a wall climb. Oh, no. I suck mm-hmm. so hard at those. <laughs> I'd just be like, really? Oh, no, 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 no. I'd be hoping hopelessly tangled up i'd be like just you know without me and what gets me though is like at the end of that little thing that you mentioned you have to kind of like climb and stuff you're just when you jump Mm -hmm. off that part it's just fire right it's just fire you're just great magma that's why they said they were sweating even more and it was gross (laughs) i seem to be covered in liquid but i have not been submerged But my my thing with Desi is I'm like, but you're like from limbo, so but like maybe the limbo fire doesn't make her sweat. Could be. Maybe yeah, it's not like that's like, where she's from. Maybe it's not maybe it's like a dry heat down there. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> maybe. Nice dry know. blistery heat. <laughs> I do. Uh, yeah. I do. Gotta say, this was really fun. It was really fun seeing them all like run and like seeing like in the first like panel, seeing like Loki chase after Emily's mom and Man Thing like doing like the sprinting. I'm like, you don't see that every day. And this is a fun <laughs> panel. <laughs> oh my god, that was such comedy! Like. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he's getting like beat down, like physically outraced by, <laughs> by Emily's mom. I know. I'm like, aren't you like a god? Like, right. like no, no, no shade to Emily's mom. She might be something else. I don't know. But 
She is kicking ass, though. I mean, I love her. I like I said, I identify with her. I respect her a ton. I basically am mm-hmm. her. I've I've lived. I've at one a.m. when I was playing games with my friends. I've almost lived over the table because they weren't listening to me and they weren't following the rules, and I was about to win. But mm-hmm. they said I wasn't going to win. But I was winning. They needed to count. Okay. Right. <laughs> So don't fuck with my win. That's Emily's mom. Right, right, right. But then we get back to, you know, Calvin and Doyle. I see this is one of the things I like. And I I feel like Scotty Young, knowing I said about like the Desi and magic thing, I feel like Mm -hmm. he's going to touch on that because he's touching on the Doyle and the mindless ones here. Yes, yes. That was Oh, yeah. Because I mean, wouldn't they would want to attack him because they're Mm -hmm. like, you're the one that has fucked us over like you look just mm-hmm. like the one that has made us into this and tortured us and ruined our lives yeah oh it sucks but <laughs> at least they get out of it alive because <laughs> like, mm-hmm. of calvin's badassery right. and then he almost kills him which is kind of scary yeah like that's that is a lot of power to channel mm-hmm. you know because these the the mindless ones are magical beings and they're able to take a lot and do a lot and he just straight up just beats him down with pure force like holy crap Mm -hmm. exactly the coat the freaking coat speaking of the coat which we didn't mention it was mentioned in the beginning of the issue during his like flashback dream thing Mm -hmm. he said in the in the like the remembering dream that he just found the jacket in the room like it was Mm -hmm. he said that the jacket said that it was left there by the last kid or whatever Mm -hmm. like what's the deal with this jacket (laughs) like where did this jacket was he telling the truth that he just found it if so whose jacket was it before like how did it get made and is it just the jacket that's matching Magical, that's making you know Calvin's mm-hmm. eyes turn black and him going like full like dark phoenix on these mindless ones mm-hmm. or is it does Calvin have magic inside him too like not just from the jacket I don't know like I, I wonder if he animated the coat um, but yeah that was yeah those are really good questions because now I need to know more right <laughs> I mean we're supposed to believe you know either Doyle Emily or it was one of the um bad's guardians i think that's supposed to be one of like the chosen ones that's supposed to be evil or good right mm-hmm. but calvin is giving me like evil vibes like i don't mm-hmm. want i don't want him to be evil but like his eyes are dark and, cr- and like breaking and all like cracky mm-hmm. that's the sign mm-hmm. of evil <laughs> like in everything yeah. yeah he did go really dark and like he he just he lost control he didn't even he didn't even know he was doing half of it mm-hmm. so yeah that's that's terrifying yeah and there's no it's no strong it's like a it's no little like feat just to take down a mindless one and almost kill it mm-hmm. that's a lot of power yeah but luckily like you know doyle was there for him and like helped mm-hmm. him and then we get loki getting tripped by emily's <laughs> mom and falling on his ass so <laughs> right like mm, oops you tripped <laughs> i love her for that I do <laughs> and, I... and then doing the freaking uh cabbage patch at the at the winner's line <laughs> Yeah. I don't, Uh, no one knew how to react to that. They were all just staring at her. They're like, we don't know what to do. (laughs) uh, (laughs) 
Oh my god, that was freaking oh, that was so good. That was good. I wanna know, like we like I've said before, we know my my uh, my gaming strategy is to be a sore winner. What are you <laughs> what is your gaming strategies, uh Raven and Robbie? <laughs> <laughs> You've never seen me play Overwatch, nope. have you? I never have. Uh, <laughs> honestly, I can be a, I am a very gracious winner, but oh my god, when I lose I don't tend to be mad at the other team. I tend to be mad at my own team. If we just got trampled, that's like, you didn't get your shit together. Nobody was working with anybody else. Y'all suck. Most of the time I don't say it to them, but boy, there have been some times I've really lit into people. But like, if we, if we at least like give them like the, uh, the opposite team, like a really good run for their money, if it's a close win, if we had to make them fight for it, then I'm actually a very gracious loser. So yeah, but oh man, if we just get trampled, Oh yeah, I'm 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 a bad loser. Really, really bad loser. <laughs> well, in some team games like Overwatch or D and D. Um, I was always like a healer type, so like you know, mercy, you know, back in my day, <laughs> and um, and then in D and D, I was a good cleric, and uh, so I guess when it comes to like team shit and winning, it's always kind of like making sure everyone is good with their shit, so the team as a whole is good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, I like that. That's a good healthy attitude to have. <laughs> I don't think me and Raven have that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I want to win, and if I can win better on my own, then I'll do it on my own. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so I feel I probably shouldn't. It's not, a like I said, not healthy. But, <laughs> you know, we all can't be well-adjusted. Like Emily's mom. She's not well-adjusted. So... <laughs> It's going to keep ragging on Emily's mom. What is her name? I keep calling her Emily's mom. Does she get a name? I forget. Oh, I don't know Let's she look does. back. I don't think she gets a name. She's got to get maybe a name. In like, right? I think she had her, uh, a name in like the first or second issue um, oh, when she was being introduced to Strange Academy and whatnot. But I, oh, man, I totally don't remember. Well, I'm sorry, Emily's mom. Yeah. That's too far. So right? we're going to keep calling Emily's mom because that's <laughs> what you are. But we love you and Anyway, so it's okay. I want to say thank you to Humberto Ramos because mm. he made Emily's dad very attractive in these panels. He gave him really mm. the square jaw, the nice hair, the nice chest. I was like, I like Emily's Did you dad. See those arms. Whew. I know. I was like, oh, I'm attracted to a cartoon again. Right. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, damn. <laughs> Um, I'm like, you know, I mean, now that Marvel's with Disney, Disney has a, a reputation of making attractive dads. So Marvel's <laughs> got to follow suit. It's just got to be. I but, can't wait for, for issue 10. Oh. oh, yeah. Like, I... Like, this issue ends with such a happy moment because, you know, mm-hmm. Doyle and Calvin miss the fun activities to deal with, like, trauma basement shit because, you mm-hmm. know, they don't have parents. But then Dr. Voodoo's like, no, we're going to do it again. Y'all have fun. And I love that, like, it ends with a good note. It's so yeah. fun. It's like la, la, la. And I love it. I want <laughs> I want my little, like, little students to have fun and be happy. <laughs> so good. So good. And next issue, we're going to Asgard. <laughs> Yes. Oh my God the 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 panel uh, the the cover for the next one it looks like it looks like Mario Kart Rainbow Road but it as really Guardian <laughs> like and it has a Mrs it has like a Mrs Frizzle bus going on I'm like oh this is gonna be so good 
know. Yeah, getting, oh, I'm, so I'm happy good. we're getting another uh, field trip issue. Yeah, oh, yeah me good. too. I, I love, I mean, I'm a big, like, Asgard Thor fan. So I'm actually, mm-hmm. I didn't even think about this. We're probably going to see the twins' mom, our dad there. Ooh. Like, yeah. That's a good and we're going to get more Loki. So I, I, like hope, I hope the kids discuss why Galactus's head is there. Because I know right. why. Because I've been, I've been reading Thor. So I know why <laughs> it's there. But yeah, Donny Cates is doing good, and Nick and Nick Klein with the art—it's good, it's good, y'all. But yeah, I'm excited for the next Strange Academy. I can't wait for more Asgardian fun. <laughs> Raven, what are your final thoughts for this Strange Academy number nine? Uh, I, I, I mean, I think we already know how much I love Strange Academy. I love how well it's been done, and how much thought and effort, and just it's. Oh, I love it. Like the storytelling is wonderful. The art is wonderful. The color story is wonderful the lettering is what like all of this this is honestly one of my favorite 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 books like yeah it's it's oh it's like it's really close like i can't even tell you the difference between one and two at this point so like yeah love it thank you keep doing this forever what do you think robbie i this is honestly like a dream creative team and uh in this issue in particular though um with the moments we get between doyle and calvin i really enjoyed that and i imagine in future issues um they're gonna take like different characters in the group and probably give them a little like a side story in different issues and have them grow together and get to learn more about each other and find that connection through each other that they didn't maybe have growing mm-hmm. up and yeah so mm-hmm. that was a huge highlight i mean obviously all like the little family stuff was another really huge highlight shit honestly every page is a highlight <laughs> really one of the big highlights was that outfit that wanda Ma- maximoff wore so there's that yes right. nailed it yeah. i honestly don't have anything else to say that y'all haven't said i i'll just say that i agree that every page is a highlight with this book <laughs> mm-hmm. but i love it so much mm-hmm. <laughs> 